Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. A gracious and most merciful Father, we give you thanks and praise that you have revealed yourself through creation, but also through your word. Lord, that as we go through times of difficulty, of um, pain and suffering, affliction, that you would deliver us that we would not forget the promises found in your word as we plead our cause that you would redeem us, that you would give us life according to what you have promised. Lord, as we see that salvation might be far from the wicked because they do not obey your word, but you, are, O oh Lord, are merciful and gracious. That you, we pray that you would give us life through your spirit, revealed through your word this very morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Exodus chapter 7, verses 1 to 13. This is God's holy, inerrant, life-giving word. Please take ye heed how you hear. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, And your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people and the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt By great acts of judgment, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they... The magicians of Egypt also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. You've heard it said that what some people call childhood, childlike wonder. I often call these great questions that I cannot actually answer. How it works in, in our house is through a simple three-letter word which constantly gets asked, and each time it gets asked, we go further and further down that rabbit hole. The question of why. The other night... Uh, you might call it childhood curiosity. 
I, on the other hand, call it bedtime procrastination. Uh, But Nora was talking about the rotation of earth upon its axis and the relation to light as it comes from the sun, or in simpler terms, why is it light in the daytime and dark at nighttime? As I explains the realities of the earth and that we turn and the sun stays in its place and provides us light, I tried to answer it in the most simple way that I could. But every time, the answer was insufficient for Nora, and thus she asked the question, well, why? Why does the sun stay still? Why does the earth move? Why, why, why? And eventually, this is how it always ends up in our house, is the exact same answer that is like a full stop on the series of why questions. Well, that's the way God made it. That's it. That's all we can say. That's the way that God made it. I could not answer any more questions without getting complicated. I, uh, some questions I just honestly do not know the answer to. But no matter how mature we are, Simplicity comes in our Christian life when we understand God's providence. When we come to that conclusion where that period on the end of our why questions might not have all the answers we're looking for, but have the firm foundation of being able to understand, well, that's the way God made it. That's the way God is working. That's the way God ordained it. Consider the story of Moses and Aaron standing before Pharaoh. As they confronted him with God's command, they experienced a different kind of why. Pharaoh's heart would grow harder and harder, each sign and wonder, prompting us to even ask the question, why didn't Pharaoh listen? The answer resonates with the simplicity of the child's inquiry. Because that's the way God allowed it to be. This concept of divine providence can baffle us, much like a child struggling to grasp the complex explanations trying to be provided by their father. Just as our children trust that we have their best interests at heart, we're called to be able to trust God in unlikely circumstances and situations, placing our trust in God's sovereignty even when we cannot grasp or fathom his ways. Just as children find comfort in our love, we find solace in God's unchanging nature, knowing that he is able and willing and does guide our very steps. Today in this passage, we see God's means of trying to understand the first beginnings of Exodus that God's message and miracles ultimately accomplish God's means, that God's message and his miracles ultimately accomplish God's means. The first thing that we need to understand is God's means. The dream team has finally been placed together. Aaron and Moses stand side by side. They're the ones that are going to be able to stand before Pharaoh They're both charged by God to be able to bring the people of God out of Egypt, we saw in chapter 6. Now Moses wants us to be able to see a very important shift that has taken place in the narrative. Moses is a new man, 
up to this point, Moses has been reluctant to be able to go and stand before Pharaoh. He questioned God five times at the burning bush. Now, he will have his moments where in the wilderness he's wandering with these grumbling and complaining people of Israel, where he wonders why he is the one who has been chosen. But what we see now is what seems to be clear obedience. Previously, he was reluctant and unwilling, but now Aaron and Moses do what the Lord commands them to do exactly, we saw in verse 10. The Lord tells Moses that he will be like a god to Pharaoh, and Aaron will be a prophet. Now, this is an important piece to be able to understand if we're to understand the next portion of the story of Exodus. What appears to be a battle between Pharaoh and Moses or uh, Pharaoh and, and the people of Israel has various layers. Now, we need to understand that in Egyptian culture, Pharaoh was actually believed to be an incarnation of two gods, Ra and Horus. And he was the physical representation of these gods carrying out their might and their power. And God tells Moses that Moses will be like a god to Pharaoh. That Moses, we understand, is not God, but to Pharaoh, he will be the physical physical representation of God himself. And why is that important? We need to understand this is not a battle of two wills. We can often get sidetracked and look at the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, but this is a battle between God and the gods of the world. God says through, to Moses and Aaron that he is going to judge Pharaoh, the people of Egypt, and also their gods. Jethro has a change of heart in Exodus chapter 18 where he says that God, God Almighty, the one true living God, is greater than all gods. Moses would write in Numbers chapter 33 verse 4, on their gods, the Lord executed judgments. And the Lord is going to start carrying out these great signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against the people of Egypt, but also against their gods. Now, this is very important when we think about the ten signs and wonders that are to follow. We'll highlight that each of these signs and wonders shows the, the strength of God in contrast with the gods of the Egyptian. That the people of God have been treated horrifically, and the Lord is going to show these great acts of judgment. This is exactly what the Lord promised to do in Genesis chapter 15, verse 14, when he spoke to uh, Abraham, he said that your descendants will be slaves of a foreign nation, but the God will judge them for their acts. They will come out with great possessions. That these people are not merely just bystanders of this enslavery. That these people not just Pharaoh. Pharaoh is the culprit, but the people of Egypt have also partaken. 
They're the ones who have murdered, enslaved, beaten, mocked, ridiculed, and harassed God's people. And God will judge them for these actions. But God will harden Pharaoh's heart as these signs and wonders are done throughout the whole land of Egypt. Pharaoh will set himself up against God. Pharaoh will not listen, which will bring greater judgment upon himself as he continued to set himself against the Lord, his leaders of Moses and Aaron, but also against God's people. God does these things so that Israel may know who the Lord is. God is showing his might and power that the people of God will know who the Lord is. But also what we see in this chapter in verse 5 is not merely that the people of God will know who the Lord is, but also that the Egyptians will know who the Lord is. That even in signs and wonders of great judgment, it shows forth God's power and glory to those even who refuse to listen to God. That Pharaoh said, when Moses first met with him, Who is the Lord? I do not know, but here the Lord says, they will know by the time these signs and wonders have happened. That we need to know who the Lord is as the people of God. When God reveals himself to Moses in Exodus chapter uh, 34, he says he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That the people of God need to know that that is their Lord that they worship. But also that the Lord, as he still reveals himself to Moses, he explains one other thing. In the same sentence, he says he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and their children and their children's children to the third and fourth generation. Not only is God gracious and merciful, able to forgive, but God is also just. That His justice is who He is. Before this, the Lord told Moses that I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. That even God's judgment is a part of God's goodness. That we cannot separate that and say, well, that's the dark side of the Lord. The Lord does, have not, does not have any dark side. There's no shadow or variation of change. The Lord shows that he, will be, he is gracious and merciful, but He is not gracious and merciful to all. This is Paul's point in Romans chapter 9. The Lord shows mercy and hardens whoever He wills. He does not have to forgive all transgression and sins. So who does He forgive? The passage following Exodus chapter 34 Lord, ask forgiveness for the people because they are stiff-necked people. And he asks God 
to pardon their iniquity and their sin and take them as their inheritance. Repentance, particularly repentance in this case through a mediator. That's the difference. The one whom he shows mercy is the one whom asks for mercy. Both Israel and the Egyptians eventually will not listen. They will turn and rebel against God. However, on one he shows mercy and grace, on the other he shows wrath and judgment. Only because of his covenant with his people, his mediator between his people and the people are shown mercy. To the ones with whom God has made a covenant, these signs and wonders show God's steadfast love to his people and how he is saving them. To those who have oppressed and persecuted God's people, these signs and wonders are great acts of judgment upon them. So the gospel message is a message of grace and mercy, but also of judgment. The question is, who is the judgment fall to? Judgment is coming. Will it fall upon the mediator who will take the place? Or will you face it yourself? Paul explains the gospel message, the exact same gospel message. Two people sit in in the pews and they hear the same message. And one leaves the church saying, that was a sweet sermon. That had an aroma, a beauty of splendor. The other one leaves. It has the pungent fragrance of death. James explains the gospel is judgment for those who have not shown mercy in chapter 2. Peter says in Acts chapter 10 that the apostles were sent out to preach the grace and judgment of the gospel. And he commanded in Acts chapter 2, verse 10, verse 42 and uh, 43, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. John Owen said the most tremendous judgment of God in this world is in the hardening of the hearts of men. And Pharaoh had set himself against God and his people, his leaders, he opposed to God's command. He opposed God's command. He did not listen. He opposed God's moral law. He stands directly opposed to God. And thus, God sends his judgment. Now, this is no different for us today. When preaching the gospel, we cannot change a sinner's heart. They're naturally bent towards pride and arrogance. Call someone a sinner is to say what you're doing is sin. Well, what happens when that person loves that sin? They want to cling on to that sin. Well, let's just redefine what sin is. Well, let's just ignore that there is no such thing as sin to begin with. That person is radically depraved, opposed to God. And the good news of the gospel has the stench of death 
to them in their nostrils. But it's only through the work of the Holy Spirit who changes their heart to to have them cry out for mercy, for repentance, to open their ears and their eyes that they might be able to understand. There's a moment where that change happens. In John's Gospel, in chapter 3, it's the famous verse that we speak of. In John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that He sent His only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall have eternal life and shall not perish. But he later goes on, and we know maybe 17, but in verse 18 he says that those who are, do not believe are condemned already. Judgment is upon them. There's no third option. Judgment is coming. The question is, who's going to pay? In our case, for believers, it's the mediator, Jesus Christ, who paid for that judgment. It's not judgment is washed away, swept under the rug. Judgment is paid for in full. The question is, who are you? Do you believe that Christ came and died for you? Or are you condemned already, not knowing what it is? That's God's means. To be able to understand God's means, we need to understand God's message and His miracles. The second section of our passage today is this secret meet, the second meeting of Moses and Aaron as they meet with Pharaoh. Previously, Moses had told that he was going to do signs in front of the people that they might be able to believe. He had not been told at this point that he would do great signs and wonders that God would do in front of Pharaoh, besides the great act of judgment, the death of the firstborn, which we find about in chapter 4. But this will only come when Pharaoh did not let his people go. The Lord tells Moses when Pharaoh asks for a sign, Aaron was to take his staff to put it down and it would become, turn into a serpent. Pharaoh did not know that the Lord was, who the Lord was. And he asked for a miracle to be able to prove who the Lord was. You say your Lord is all powerful. Well, show us how powerful he is. Now, Aaron and Moses do exactly what the Lord had told them to do. Pharaoh calls for his magicians to perform the exact same feat. Now, some have believed that uh, we need to understand that when we come to all these, they seek to be able to explain all these supernatural phenomena with natural explanations. We don't get a glimpse into those type of things. Uh, what we understand is Moses, uh, the... Um, Aaron's staff was turned into a serpent. What is believed is that the magicians are able to be able to hold a snake in a certain way that holds, it looks like a, sta- a staff. You put it down, you let it go, it becomes a serpent. Uh, we'll look more at these when we get to the signs and wonders, commonly called the plagues. But as Moses, uh, as Pharaoh calls for his magicians, now most of these people think these are Janaeus and uh, Jambres which is found in 2 Timothy, as uh, Paul writes about in 2 Timothy chapter 3, that these two men opposed Moses. 
Now, we must not assume that these two actions are merely equal. That here the men are able to be able to transform a staff into a, a, a serpent. But the main point is not merely the transforming the staff to the serpent. The main point is that what happens in the end is that Aaron's serpent is able to ingest and digest the other two serpents. That Aaron's serpent is stronger and mightier than the other, the magician's serpent. What's pointed out in verse 13 shows that God's providence happened exactly how God had explained them to them. That in verse 13, the Lord had previously told Moses, but now it's recorded in history, still Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. In all of this, Pharaoh asked for a sign. He's shown a sign, and Pharaoh is unchanged. That Pharaoh remains stubbornly opposed to God as he had been exactly before the sign. We often think that if there was great displays of signs and wonders, that everyone would turn, that everyone would trust in the Lord. The truth of the matter is that's not the case. Throughout the Bible, these great signs and wonders are performed, and often what you see is people's hearts are not changed. Actually, what you see is when these signs and wonders are performed, people's hearts are hardened. Ahab will constantly be against Elijah. Although Elijah will do great signs and wonders before him, Ahab is still as sinful as he always is throughout all that time. He might show signs of change, but ultimately, signs and wonders ultimately reveal the hardened heart of a sinner. Think about even when Jesus walked the earth, all the signs and wonders that he did. What was he faced with often was opposition. The apostles, as they went out and did signs and wonders, what was Paul often faced with? Opposition. Persecution. Think about the Pharisees. They saw Lazarus come back to life. They saw Lazarus was dead, but then he became alive. Their response wasn't then to be able to worship Christ as this great sign, uh, the one who performs these great signs and wonders, to be able to turn and trust in his words, they then thought it's best to be able to kill Lazarus and Jesus. We're warned about false prophets and teachers who do signs and wonders who eventually lead people astray in, in Matthew chapter 24, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And even in the end, when everyone stands before Christ, there will be some who stand before Christ and believe their signs and wonders are evidence of their real conversion. But Christ turns around and says to them, Depart from me, I never knew you. The author of Hebrews warns us not to to, to pay, not to pay attention to what we have seen, but what we have heard in chapter 2. Therefore, we must pay 
much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and was attested to us by those who heard. While God, who also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will. We must pay closer attention to the word. Signs and wonders to show God's power and his might. But God's word, Paul says in Romans chapter 10, that faith comes not through seeing, faith comes through hearing. That the key point in all of this is Pharaoh will see these great signs and wonders. But it's not that Pharaoh does not believe in the great signs and wonders. It's that Pharaoh doesn't obey God's word. Pharaoh doesn't listen to God's word. Pharaoh does not let the people go. This is Pharaoh's sin in all of this. And Pharaoh's heart will be hardened and results in not listening to God's word, just as the Lord had said. And Moses and Aaron were sent by God to let Pharaoh hear, but Pharaoh doesn't. But God's word is still effective. In all of this, we often think that That God sends his word that people might believe. That's not true. God's word is sent to be able to carry out exactly what he accomplishes it to do. What is God's word accomplished to do in this situation? Bring judgment on those who have oppressed God's people. Isaiah explains, For as the the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing which I have sent it. We often hear that word that that God's word will not return void or God's word will not return empty. And we often think, well, that means that salvation is coming. Well, in this case, God's means is judgment. God sends his word out, the miracles, the word, the message, to be able to accomplish his means, and the means is judgment. God's purpose is to show forth his glory to his people, to bring about their salvation and their deliverance. To the people of God, this is a sweet aroma of life. But to those who oppose God's word, especially Pharaoh, it's his judgment and his justice. God had told Moses and Aaron that what he was going to do and how Pharaoh was going to react, that God's word never returned void to one, the message of life and hope and salvation. The same message, the same signs and wonders is the message of judgment and death. The author explains that the people in the wilderness 
had the good news presented to them, but they did not benefit them because they were not united by faith to those who listened. Paul explains that mercy only comes through the washing and regeneration renewal of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, let us pray as we proclaim the good news of the gospel that we trust in God's providence as we proclaim what God has told us to say through His Word of the good news of Christ's coming, that we pray that there will be salvation, that this message would be life and hope and salvation, that they might be able to know who the Lord is. But also let us pray that it will carry out whatever God's means and will is in the situation. That if in the end it is judgment, that it would be for God's glory. That all people would know who the Lord is. That the Spirit would work in the hearers' hearts. That it would become sweet news of the Gospel. It's a hard thing for us to be able to fathom and understand. Why? We don't know all the answers. We can maybe begin to grasp some of them. D.A.R. Carson explains that the mystery of God's providence is not an illogical thing. It's just difficult for us to be able to unpack. He says, the mystery of providence defiles our attempt to tame it by reason. I do not mean it is illogical. I mean we do not know enough about it to be able to unpack it. It's not like flipping a coin and just saying, well, let's see, is it mercy or, or uh, you know, judgment? It's not illogical. God knows. We just don't. So we need to trust in God, knowing that He has sent us on our mission, whether people's hearts are hardened or whether they receive it. Their hearts are softened. We're still sent to be able to proclaim that message. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. O gracious and most merciful Father, we thank you that you are the one who has sent us to be able to proclaim your good message of hope and life. But to some who hear it, they will not hear that message. We pray that it might be like hardened soil that is softened over time, that you would bring them to salvation that you would soften their hearts. Lord, help us to be able to trust that in our place, in our job, to be able to go proclaim that good news of the gospel, that we are not in charge of chaining, changing the sinner's heart. But Lord, that you use all these things for your glory. There are some vessels for honor, some for dishonor. Lord, we pray that we would seek to be able to trust you, not knowing the circumstances be able to trust you knowing that this is the way that God has made it. We pray in Christ's blessed and holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.